It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. We're joined now by Justin Klein. Justin is CEO of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, KPP Financial. He is co-host of Invest Talk. Heard each Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on our sister station, Business Radio AM 1220, KDOW. And Justin, a delight to have you join us. Welcome back. It's a delight to be here, Craig. And uh, you missed one thing on that uh, news rundown. Is after the bell, uh, the Fitch just downgraded our credit rating as a country. Ooh, ouch. Okay, so <laughs> while I was going to share a story about an uptick in consumer confidence, uh, Fitch apparently doesn't have much confidence in the U.S. And give us your perspective on that, both in terms of what went into their decision to downgrade, downgrade our, our credit rating, as well as what that ultimately may potentially mean for retirees or people saving for retirement. Well, their reasoning is, is certainly sound. Obviously, our, our fiscal situation is uh, is becoming more and more uh, difficult uh, as time goes on. And a lot of it has to do with uh, off-balance sheet liabilities, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, Social Security liabilities coming on balance sheet with so many baby boomers retiring uh, and getting older. And that's just uh, something that uh, most demographers could see from a mile away. Um, so this is something that uh, should have been pretty obvious decades ago, um, and we'll probably have to deal with it at some point. What are the near-term ramifications? Probably not that much. I mean, you're talking about going from AAA to AA+. Uh, you know, we still have the ability to uh, finance ourselves, at least in the, in the short to medium term. You know, what does that mean for the dollar longer term? You know, I don't think we're going to be bankrupt or anything like that, but... Uh, you know, could that mean uh, more inflation down the line? I think that's certainly uh, true. So I think it just tells you that we are in a, a new regime, a new uh, environment where uh, inflation is going to be different than it has been in the past, and it's probably going to be a bit higher. It doesn't have to be runaway inflation. This isn't this isn't uh, Zimbabwe or anything like that. But uh, a higher level inflation is probably what's to be expected um, going forward. Yeah, and that certainly can't be very good news to the Fed. I mean, we just saw them last week engage in their 11th rate increase in about 12 months, I think. Uh, we're now seeing what I guess the, the, the impact of the overnight lending rate really influences everything, whether you're buying a home, buying a car, or even spending money on your credit card and, and, and letting it uh, you know sit there for a while. That means it's going to be a lot more expensive in a lot of ways for Americans. So what? We have two choices, I guess, either spend less or at the end of the day, spend more through higher uh, higher interest rates and ultimately higher inflation. Yeah, well, I think you're talking about kind of two separate things. So, you know, the fish thing is about the government and then there's the individual. And in fact, the individual, yes, there are higher costs of a mortgage and, and buying cars and the interest rate sensitive parts of the economy. But in general, it's actually been not that bad of a setup for most Americans, especially those that locked in mortgage rates at 3%, you know, a few years back. And their carrying costs for that hasn't changed. This uh, It's kind of, I don't know if you know this, but it's pretty rare to have 
30-year mortgages. In, in Europe, uh, those are they're more, more floating rate. They reset every two to five years, uh, et cetera. We're here in the U.S. Most people have those low fixed mortgages. So uh, it, what's actually happening, happening is a lot of individuals now have savings, and they're actually earning something on their savings now, and they're actually having what is called positive carry. They're borrowing at three in their mortgage and they're actually getting paid five, five and a half percent now on, um, on, the, uh, on, on their cash. Uh, by investing in treasuries, money market accounts, CDs, etc. So this is a, a new environment that most people aren't used to. And in fact, higher interest rates, perplexing, per, per, perplexingly, in some ways is actually perpetuating inflation going forward uh, and, and today. And it's in some parts of the economy and in other parts, you're correct, there is some drag. Wow. And that certainly creates a bit of a quandrum for the Fed as they're raising rates in an effort to try and get a handle on inflation and, and kind of cool the afterburners of the economy. And, and we've certainly seen, I, th- I think, some some movement in the positive direction I- in that regard, that we're beginning to see a downtick in inflation, uh, although it Interestingly enough, you talk about real estate that 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 really hasn't impacted real estate very much, and not certainly in in areas like the San Francisco Bay region, down south towards you know L.A., San Diego. Many of those parts of the state um, continue to be, while perhaps not as crazy as they were, say this time a year ago, uh, or even two years ago, when you could get a, a good thirty-year fix for what barely three percent. Now it's more than twice that number. How much of a chilling effect has the interest rates had? on real estate and and given the demand here in California um, what is your sense of the forecast in terms of how real estate is going to look both for first time home buyers or people that are looking at real estate as an investment in the next few years well, you're correct that the marginal home buyer, the first-time home buyer, they are pretty much priced out of the market. But there's always that certain level of uh, a certain number of home buyers that they're not that interest rate sensitive, uh, mainly because they have cash, uh, they have high income, so it doesn't really matter the carrying cost uh, to, to them purchasing. Um, so you know, you've kind of hit that level. So you know, what's happening more is the volume is just very, very low. The amount of inventory is in the, on the market is very, very low because um, they're, they're, we've been underbuilding for a long period of time. And, you know, it, it's, the prices are coming down, but they're coming down slowly. And a lot of people make this huge mistake. And what they do is they look at the last recession and they think they look at the next recession through that lens. Mm. And if you look back through history, almost never is the catalyst for the previous recession, the same catalyst for the recession going forward. Why? It's because we are humans and we, we, we feel the pain. Everyone felt the pain from 08. So what do the people do? We put in a mechanism to make it so it's harder to get a mortgage. So only mortgages go out to those people with very high credit ratings. There aren't the, you know, the, the no-doc mortgages a- anymore. And I don't know if you've had it, you've, you've had it refinance or get a mortgage in the last uh, 10 years or so, you have to jump through a million hoops to do so. And so it, it, it's, it's, there's not a lot of forced sellers, you know, 08, there was a ton of forced sellers, you know, the jingle mail and all that. So this is not that, that environment. And so will, uh, will how the housing market continue correct? Yes, but it's the housing market's slow. It, it, it takes a lot of time and it's probably going to still be another two, three, four years before the market fully kind of corrects and gets back into, uh, a healthy equilibrium, which we're not there yet. 
Um, and so uh, I think in California, especially the Bay Area, I've said this for a while, uh, the, 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 the workers within the tech industry, they're not cashing out huge stock bonuses and things like that anymore. So they're not able to uh, put money down, uh, you know, a couple million dollars easily down on the home. A lot of people are moving out because they uh, see better opportunities, cheaper places to live and still work from home now as opposed to having to go in the office. So I think the Bay Area certainly is going to be weaker than, say, Southern California. But in general, the high price markets are going to probably continue to struggle under the weight of, of higher interest rates and uh, but doesn't mean it has to be a housing crash or anything like that it's just a, a, a modest continual consistent correction that will happen probably over a number of years and you know in, on, on the on the investment side you know the cap rates in california are just very very low they remain very very low and now you can get good say corporate bonds yielding seven percent which is much better than a lot of the cap rates you're getting on real estate here in the here in california and a lot of parts of the united states so a lot of people are turning towards that where they're able to get without any worries not have to deal with any any tenants or anything like that they're clipping their coupons on a lot of bonds that are yielding you know six seven eight percent and that's pretty remarkable i mean considering where where the bond market was just a few years ago even cds my goodness we haven't talked about cds justin outside in the context of music <laughs> in decades. And now all of a sudden I'm hearing people say, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's, it's certainly not going to be a way that I'm going to get rich overnight, but, you know, five, five and a quarter percent guaranteed over, you know, nine months, ten, 12 months is not some such a bad deal, at least compared to the, you know, 0.001 percentile that we were seeing just a scant year and a half ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, it makes a lot of sense uh, for people and it, especially those that uh, everyone's been ch- chasing yield for a long period of time, trying to get it, it, I, two years ago, three years ago, you were getting 5% on junk bonds, right? Companies that have pretty low credit ratings, that's all you were going to get which is around the 5% level. Now you can get those on treasuries. And so it's, it's a lot better environment for people to go out there and earn solid, consistent yields. Uh, and so it's, it's a new environment, a new world. Interests go through these long, multi-decade decade cycles, usually 30 to 40 years up and 30 to 40 years down. We just finished that from the early 80s up until just uh, just uh, the last couple of years when interest really broke out to the upside. And we think because inflation is likely to remain relatively persistently above what we're used to, it's not going to be this 1% to 2% disinflationary environment that we saw you know, through the 90s and early 2000s. It's going to be probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a 4% to 5% average inflation over the next couple of decades. And that's due to, you know, dollar probably weakening, but also deglobalization. You're seeing that right now uh, in a big way. Uh, obviously, regionalization of supply chains. You have a bifurcated world with, uh, you know, Russia and China and, and the East versus, you know, Europe and, and the U.S. and the West. Uh, and, and our allies. So uh, all of those geopolitical concerns are also going to push inflation higher, which means interest rates probably headed higher over the long term. Obviously, there can be uh, drops. Maybe you know, the Fed cuts rates next year. That's certainly possible. But for now, you likely are seeing inflation uh, and interest rates headed higher. You, you make a reference to what I'll call the long game, and I want to spend some time unpacking that when we come back, because that sense of instant gratification is something that we Americans are used to, right? Who but an American looks at the microwave, you know, trying to heat up a cup of water for coffee and is complaining that it didn't boil in under a minute, right? This is the way we see things. We want that sense of instant 
instantaneous gratification. But is that necessarily a formula for financial success when it comes to planning for retirement? We'll talk about the short versus the long game as our conversation with Justin Klein, CEO of KPP Financial, co-host of Invest Talk, heard Monday through Friday. At 4 p.m. on our sister station, AM 1220 KDOW. Invite you to check them out, kppfinancial.com. That's kppfinancial.com. We'll take a time out. Back to more insights as our conversation with Justin Klein continues on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Talking about markets, money, retirement planning with Justin Klein, CEO of KPP Financial and co-host of Invest Talk. Heard Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on our sister station, AM 1220 KDOW. Justin, prior to the break, you made reference to long-term planning, long game, I'll call it. And, you know, it's interesting. You talk about human behavior, and, and, and I know to a great degree what you do in your business is analyzing not only human thinking, human behavior, our relationships to money and how we manage it or fail to manage it. Certainly the notion of what happened last month will be used as a guide for what we're going to do in the future, right? Uh, How many people walk through the checkout stand at the grocery store, look at the front page of a newspaper or uh, maybe a periodical, and we look at a list of the top producing stocks of the last quarter and think, oh, I'm just going to buy this and see what did well, and then copy be it uh, on my uh, my online investments and and off I go to uh, retirement land. But it doesn't work that way. Help us understand when we talk about the long game for retirement planning. What do people need to be doing? How, what kind of approach is is necessary in order to arrive at the kind of money pile that's going to be necessary to take us through retirement? Well, the first is to not do what you just said, right? Chasing those returns over the past month or quarter or even year. Because uh, typically, that's a terrible way to invest. Uh, it's, it's emotional. Uh, and frankly, that's how most average people invest. They invest with their emotions because we are humans and we are emotional beings. And so uh, when you don't have any basis or good basis for um searching and finding the right investments for you, you turn to emotions, which is kind of our our natural programming. Uh, So what it's really about, the real investing is about understanding uh, the assets, the risks versus rewards of the companies, of the assets that you're looking at, uh, and making uh, in bets, making investments, true investments in quality assets, quality businesses, not just what's hot at the moment. Because uh, what what can be hot today can easily turn cold tomorrow. And, and nothing highlighted that more than the post-COVID era, you know, 2020, 2021, uh, and everybody was jumping into these tech stocks and they were extrapolating this growth saying, hey, we were going to uh, see this huge shift to work from home and, and the whole world has changed. And that certainly is true. But what they did was they, they overestimated uh, the type of growth and the sustainability of the growth that was taking place in 2020 and 2021 and nothing highlights that more than zoom remember everybody was on zoom and they thought 
Zoom was this incredible company and everybody and their mother was going to have to have a Zoom subscription because that's how you're going to operate and do business. And the stock went from pre-pandemic right around 60 bucks and it went to a high of nearly 600. So almost a thousand fold, right, from pre-pandemic. Well, today it's back down to $72. So barely up from its pre-pandemic level. And why is that? Is because it was hot money and while Zoom's business is fine and their product is good, it's nothing special. Uh, there's a lot of products out there where you can do video conferencing and just as good if sometimes if, if even better than Zoom. Uh, and so what most people do is they try to hop on these trains and they have no mechanism to understand whether these are quality businesses, what if I should buy it now, uh, or later, and what about the economic backdrop? It can be a good company today, but the economic backdrop just isn't working uh, in that particular uh, environment, for example. So uh, when you're looking at long-term investing, you really have to have not not just a, you don't, don't wanna have a myopic view of just a short period of time. You wanna look long-term to know if this fits you as with your investment strategy, your risk tolerance level, and whether or not it's a quality asset long-term. So that that long-term approach uh, is going to be critically important. I guess that also means that you need to have a strategy in place because there's going to be some ups and downs along the way. And, and, and certainly these bumps on the radar screen, while perhaps not as significant as the 2008-2009 downturn, the, the 2000.com bubble bean burst, or even going back, probably nobody in this audience remembers, but going back to the days of the Great Depression. I mean, those were kind of anomalies to what are the, the normal market cycles, but the market does cycle. And so I suppose then having a, having a roadmap looking ahead to carry you through those cyclical moments, because it's really needs to be as you're suggesting forward thinking, doesn't it? I mean, you know, there's, there's aspects of lessons of history that can be valuable. Uh, but when it comes to investing, that really isn't that helpful of a tool, is it? No, it's not. And, and, having a plan is you're right seeing through uh, any wiggles uh, in the market or the economy uh, and knowing that your strategy makes sense for your situation and that you're investing in companies and, and businesses or, or assets in general that have long-term sustainability, not stories. So many people get caught up in stories. They, they, they read an article or they talk to their cousin or their friend or their brother and they, they get caught up in the story. And that's not what really investing is about. Investing isn't about story. Investing is about businesses and cash flow and earnings and then understanding where is that going? Not what it did today, not what it did during COVID, but how does that fit in the world that we are in? Not in the world that you wish it to be. A lot of people use their um, you know, their political uh, viewpoint, whether that's left or that's right, whatever that is, and they try to invest you using that lens. And that's one of the big mistakes most people make is they invest for the world that they wish it to be as opposed to the world that it is. And it, that will guide your success. It doesn't, the, the market doesn't care what your political leanings are. It matters, it cares what is actually going to happen going forward. And we think we're in an environment where whether you like it or not, we're kind of regionalizing our supply chains or bringing a lot of manufacturing back to the United States. I don't know if you know this, but right now there is a 70 
8% increase in spending on manufacturing facilities, uh, CapEx spending and manufacturing facilities here in the United States year over year. Okay, so there's a massive boom in manufacturing facility production, uh, and that's an environment where demand for manufactured goods here in the United States is actually shrinking. So imagine how good that would be if we had a, an environment where everyone started to buy things again. You know, we're kind of in this phase where people had bought a bunch of things during the pandemic, and now we have a bunch of stuff, and now we're spending it on uh, experiences, going out to eat, traveling, et cetera. Um, so this, these regionalized uh, supply chains are, are definitely going to be a driver of the economy going forward, and you have to adjust your uh, the companies you're investing in accordingly. You know, the, the, the raw materials, energy, industry, those are going to be, I think, the best places to be invested over the next uh, decade or two as we uh, bring our supply chains back home. So certainly now the, the, the shift that used to be the emerging markets were all located overseas. Now more and more we're seeing them here closer to home. In fact, uh, very near the, the uh, what do we want to call it, the Apple spaceship, the Apple campus. Uh, they're getting ready to build yet another mega campus for applied materials to begin manufacturing chips right here where they all started. Amazing stuff. There was a commercial that came out probably a decade ago. If you um, are old enough, you might remember it. It essentially was a marketing commercial for Buick, and it sort of reimagined, reinvented the Buick automobile with the tagline, not your father's Buick. Can the same be said of retirement now, that it's not your parents' or your grandparents' retirement? It's your retirement, and yours will be a lot different than theirs. We'll talk about that next. Our conversation continues with CEO of KPP Financial, Justin Klein, Justin, co-host of Invest Talk, heard Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on our sister station, AM 1220 KDOW. By the way, if you'd like to get more information about Justin, his good work, or maybe you're in a position where many of the things that we've talked about on the program so far are, are beginning to pique your interest, or you have that sense of Gee, from what Justin has said, I don't think I'm on the right track. I'm a little bit nervous. Where can I get some help? I invite you to reach out to Justin. You can get more information online at kppfinancial.com. That's kppfinancial.com. Back to more insights with Justin Klein as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Continue our conversation tonight with Justin Klein, CEO of KPP Financial and co-host of Invest Talk. Heard Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on our sister station, AM 1220 KDOW. Anytime you're in the uh, the mood for some business news, get a sense of what's going on in the world and its impact on your financial life, check them out at uh, AM 1220 KDOW. Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. You know, when um, folks my age, <laughs> certainly, Justin, uh, get together maybe over dinner and start talking about uh, how far off are you from retirement and things of this sort, I, I find that on occasion the conversation will turn to a quandary that oftentimes people say, you know, I, I know I need discipline. I know I need to be saving. I know I need to set money aside for short-term needs, long-term needs, right? you know, certainly uh, aggressively planning for retirement, especially as you grow uh, closer to uh, your your 60s. But the one question that seems to puzzle a lot of people is, how much 
is enough. And I realize there's no such thing as one size fits all. You can't give anybody on the radio that number. But for folks listening, saying, okay, give me some insights. What is the formula? How do I go about generally calculating how much of a nest egg I'm going to need to take me safely to and through retirement? Well, you're definitely correct. Everybody is different. Some people want to sit at home with their grandkids, and and that's going to be their retirement, and that doesn't cost a lot of money, right? Maybe some gifts for your grandkids, things like that, uh, taking them to Disneyland or, or trips and things like that. But uh, others want to golf a lot. Others want to travel a lot, and th- there's very... Uh, varying levels of cost to all of that. And so everybody's uh, definitely different. Now, the, the standard rule is 4%. Uh, that changes a lot. Uh, I think it's becoming uh, uh, probably uh, more ingrained. I think 4% makes sense for most people still. Uh, but life expectancy continues to go up. So that's a good thing, uh, that we're, we're living longer. In many ways, we're living healthier lives, especially if you, you know, have good habits. Um, but it is really about putting a plan together that incorporates everything from risk tolerance level to uh, how much, uh, what type of lifestyle you want to lead in retirement, how much you want to leave to your next of kin as well, or maybe to a church or some other nonprofit. You know, those are all uh, variables that change how much somebody really needs uh, in retirement. And so that's what we, we do for clients along with uh, the investment side and building strategies. Uh, but you're right. It is becoming more and more complex, like you said at the top of the show. Uh, but the 4% rule, I think for most people, still applies. Uh, basically saying that, hey, I, I need an amount to take 4% out of my re- retirement accounts each year uh, based on my expenses. And some people, that's 50 grand a year. Some people might be 500 grand a year. It just depends on the person. So you're looking at a combination of uh, whatever your Social Security number is going to be. They used to send you a birthday card. Now I understand you have to go online, but you can still get that, that estimation from the SSA to determine what your anticipated retirement will be. And there's certainly different stages, whether you reach full retirement. I think you get something like 8% additional for every year beyond your full retirement age that you delay it up Mm -hmm. to the age of 70. Um, Mm -hmm. So those factors, and then perhaps what, if you maybe have some rental income, uh, other potential sources, coupled with then that percentile that you're removing out of that nest egg every year. And I guess the one thing, you know, talking about our retirement not being our grandparents' retirement, for a lot of our grandparents, my goodness, Justin, they, they retired at 65 or 68. They lived for a few years, maybe took a couple of cruises, and then by the time they were in their mid to late 70s, they were gone. And now you're finding people that are living to 85, 95. I think that we're with a world record of the number of centarians that are alive today, which means you could almost wind up spending as much time of your life retired as you did in the working world, assuming you got started in your your uh, 20s. And so I guess that really means that the size of that nest egg, uh, dependent upon how fast you spend it and how comfortable you want to be, it, it can potentially really grow exponentially with the longevity tables going to where they're at. Absolutely. And, and you did throw in... Uh 
the social security aspect, which I don't think social security is going away. There's some easy ways to kind of fix uh, things. A lot of them are uh, politically uh, uh, unpalatable for, for either side, but I think eventually we'll probably get there. Uh, but, you know, allowing that to grow, like you said, 8% after your full retirement age up until age of 70, I think is important. Um, even if you have to pull out a little bit more from your IRAs or 401ks, as long as you're healthy, that's probably a good idea to, to wait until you're 70. And it's even more important in this environment where inflation is likely to remain elevated. I think I talked earlier about how Social Security recipients this year got a 9% increase in their in their payments. Uh, and most studies show actually show that most retirees don't feel the full effects of retirement as much as the average person because they're not driving as much, they're not buying as many clothes, et cetera. Um, and, but it's important to, when, you, uh, when you're getting that 9% increase, the bigger that base is, the more it's going to consistently grow over time. That's a guaranteed growth, right? This isn't like maybe I'm going to earn 7 or 8% or something in the markets. This is guaranteed from the government that you're going to get uh, that, that COLA increase. And so you want to probably wait as long as possible to try to uh, allow the COLA adjustments over time that are likely to be elevated to hit a larger number. For a lot of people, this process is bewildering. It is confusing. Uh, it's it's like preparing to pay your taxes on April fifteenth of every year, uh, multiplied by a thousand. And a lot of people mm-hmm. just decide, you know, this is more than I can handle. I'm going to seek out the advice of a professional because it's just well beyond my pay grade. Toward that end, for folks that have eavesdropped on our conversation today, Justin, that say, yeah, you know, you guys have really hit on a number of key points that's raising questions for me, and I think I've decided I need some help. Folks want to get more information about uh, being able to take advantage of a, a remote appointment with you, what do they need to do? Well, the easiest thing is to head over to our website, kppfinancial.com. Uh, if they want to learn more about InvestTalk, just go to investtalk.com and, and listen to some shows. You'll, you'll get a lot out of that. Uh, and mainly it's about having the right mindset for making smart decisions. And uh, sometimes people can do that themselves and others, they don't feel like they have the time, the discipline, the data, the expertise to do it themselves. And they, they hand that over to, to us. And then uh, they can head over to kppfinancial.com, click on the uh, portfolio review tab on the top right and schedule a call with me. See how easy that is? So check it out at KPP Financial, the broadcast Invest Talk, heard Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. on our sister station, AM 1220 KDW. You want to stay on top of the latest financial news and its impact on your retirement? Then check out Invest Talk, Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. at AM 1220 KDOW. Our guest today is the CEO of KPP Financial and co host of Invest Talk, Justin Klein. Justin, as always, a delight to spend some time with you. Thanks so much for uh, carving out a bit of your busy schedule for us. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Linda Goldfarb is an award winning author. Contributor to the new series, The New Book, Leading Ladies. She is also a speaker, radio personality, and a board-certified Christian life coach. And Linda, welcome to the program. Good to have you with us. 
Thank you so much, Craig. It is a pleasure to be here with you. Boy, there's so much to unpack here. I I, I hardly know where to begin. But let's start with what I mentioned at the last, and that is the sense, and I think a lot of us have it, and perhaps part of it based on our family of origin and and how we were raised to see ourselves as others see us, that perhaps we either have a sense of lack of self-value because we don't think we're all that smart or all that good-looking or we're the kid that always got picked over. Over, uh, you know, for dodgeball and, and the playground. And after a while, we came to convince ourselves that we weren't quite worth all that much. And I understand that that's a, that's a struggle that you can relate to. Oh, it certainly is. And as you said, it is not a foreign struggle to so many of us. And that is so true. I will share with you, as I did in the Leading Ladies chapter When I was a young person, I had buck teeth, I had a skin disorder. I, you know, I I wanted so much to belong. I wanted so much for someone to like me. And I discover in later years that has a lot to do with my God design and how he created me. And he didn't create me incorrectly. It's just, I didn't understand my value to him as a young person and therefore with what I looked at and what I saw in the mirror as devaluing aspects of me I really didn't like myself very much and in that process it's real easy to convince ourselves that no one else would either I mean why would they if they knew what was what your thoughts were if they knew what you were like behind the mask of laughter. Because I'll tell you, Craig, I was that funny person. I realized at a young age, you know what? If I can make people laugh, then they won't laugh at me. They'll laugh with me. Hmm. And I didn't discover until later in my, probably in my mid-20s, that... The laughter was protection. I actually started my speaking career in as a Christian comic. And I would come on before the main keynotes would come on and I'd make everyone laugh. And I said, oh, well, that's what I'm all about. And part of that would even be where I would talk down about myself and and everyone laughs at that. Right. And that protective coding that we have. You know, we don't grow out of it, Craig. If it is not addressed, if we do not start to identify ourselves as how God designed us and how purposed we are, we fall into a place of self-deprivation. We fall into a place of allowing others to control us because we so want to belong. And... As you mentioned, even at the the front end, I know you have a guest who's going to talk about it because that is amazing, amazing film that's out there and uh, the, the Sound of Freedom. But individuals that can get caught up in that are also individuals who they want to belong. And if someone is cunning enough, if someone is clever enough, if someone uses just the right words, they're going to suck you right in and suck you right out 
of who God designed you. So they essentially manipulate that lack of of, of self esteem, and I and I, yeah. I hesitate to even use that term because our our sense of esteem needs to be based on how God sees us. And God, of course, right. is very clear that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, created in His very image. God mm-hmm. being uh, holy, perfect, He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't create inferior beings, though we right. oftentimes struggle in the flesh. And I guess to a degree, that, that sense of whether you're the person that always hides in the corner because you don't want to get noticed, or you become the class clown because uh, you're doing this as a as a means of sort of um, deflecting the arrows that get shot in your direction. Those all really become coping mechanisms, don't they? They're, they're ways in which we can manage our sense of lack of value and and the way that we feel as if we can't be as good as you know the star football player or the star cheerleader or you know whoever plays first chair in the high school band and and all of a sudden we see ourselves as damaged goods and we allow people to take advantage of of us as a result oh absolutely you are spot on um for several years craig i studied personalities and with along with a great friend of mine we actually created the a linked the linked uh quick guide to personality series and in that the discovery we are polar opposites in personalities and the things that i assumed about her personality and the things she assumed about my personality when we came together and realized it was empty assumptions we started discovering at a deeper level, oh my goodness, we're seeing ourselves not the way that God created us. And when that light comes on, then our world opens up. And if we did have that perfect God view of us personally, Craig, I agree with you. We we would be on fire. We would be lit for him. We nothing could hold us back because we would know and we would claim that purpose and that de- design and we would be kicking it in the world today, but we all aren't privy to that unless I believe for me unless we start asking him for it and that's what happened to me. Craig. And you know we That's can we can be folks that that go to church regularly, study the oh, word, yeah. pray, you know, live the right life, do all the right things. And you know, some folks might think, well, this you're just talking about kids that have low self esteem. No, I, I this this can be this can be an eighty year old that's lived an entire life with a sense of being less than. Yes, yes. Oh, you are right there. I tell people. Please don't put others in a box and think, oh, it can only be someone else's child, someone else's friend. Oh, my goodness, no. It is each one of us has, we are not immune. None of us are immune to this. And to pigeonhole someone because, oh, you must not have been in church or you didn't get enough schooling or you don't have enough faith. No, 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 no. I was raised in church. I was, I knew all the words. I knew everything. I, I mean, I knew every answer to every question. I got every star that you could possibly get in memorizing scripture. Yet I found myself, Craig, at 38. And, well, uh, I'll step back for a second. At the age of nine, I lived in England. And with my, my parents, we were military family. 
my brother stepped forward one evening service to be baptized. And I'm thinking, well, he's not going to outdo me. So I, I got up. I went down front. I answered all the questions that everyone asked about Jesus because I knew the answers. And I was baptized in that church at the age of nine. When I was 14, I was at youth camp. And when I was at youth camp, there was a youth pastor. And the way that she opened up Jesus to me, I wept Craig. I wept. I was on my face and I was like, oh, I've not known him like this. And in that moment, Jesus became my savior. But I'm going to share today that it wasn't until the age of 38 that he became my Lord. Mm. And I was at a broken place. I, Craig, I'd been speaking I mean, I was speaking in women's retreats. I, there was, I mean, I was on fire for Jesus. I was out spreading the good news. I was doing all of this, thinking that I was who I was supposed to be. And it was that one night where I just fell. I literally fell to my knees in my living room. And I said, you know what? You know what, Father? And I call him Abba Daddy. I do that. I said, I'm at a place where I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And please create in me a hunger for you. A hunger more significant than my love for my husband. And please give me a thirst for you, for your word. More remarkable than my love for my children. God something is missing and I believe that it's you and I believe in Jesus I believe in all that I'm to believe but I feel so empty please fill me with your Holy Spirit and you know what's amazing about that is that sense of the more that we surrender to him the more we will in time with study in the word and prayer become more like him the more perfected we become in him and through him and then now the increase of the opportunity to begin to see ourselves more like him as we become more like him and it completely changes your your attitude your behavior and can be liberating this is Reader's Digest, can we even say that does it justice? This is like trying to tell you the entirety of the book of War and Peace in one sentence. It really can't be done. And clearly, uh, 10 minutes in our conversation with Linda Goldfarb barely scratches the surface, which means it's a good excuse to invite Linda back on for a lengthy conversation, because this is this is the onion, and we've got all these layers that we need to just peel back. Let me say that this is part of our ongoing series, Leading Ladies, Discover Your God-Grown Strategy for Success, newly released by Bold Vision Books. You can check it out online through the usual suspects, Amazon, as well as through LeadingHearts.com. That's LeadingHearts.com. Linda, we've got to have you back. Just Way too little time for as much as we need to talk about today. Linda Goldfarb, again, she is one of the contributors to Leading Ladies Discover Your God-Grown Strategy for Success. We're going to get her back on real soon. On Smart Speakers and the Odyssey. San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose. A service of Salem Media Group. 